Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 223. Today, we're talking Big Woods Bucks with How Blood and the Big Woods Bucks crew, so stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you were doing well hope you are doing fine some turkey seasons have kicked off hopefully for those of you that are uh, able to get out and and chase some of those uh kings of spring hopefully you're having some some success our buddy johnny utah of course is uh you know he's he's not on the show today but he's he's attempting his back-to-back turkey grand slam and uh he was in florida 
Jason Osceola's doing some stuff. Uh, I was kind of, I haven't talked to him yet, but I was kind of monitoring what he had going on on Instagram. And it looks like he's, uh, he's got the first one down. So, you know, uh, one for one so far and he'll be doing some traveling. So looking forward to having him back on here in the not so distant future and talking about how the, uh, the, the back-to-back champ grand slam champ is, uh, is, is, is coming along, but, uh, have a cool show today. Not going to belabor the upfront. I did get a chance to do some scouting, but I'll cover that on another, on another session. Just want to kind of get uh, get right to today's podcast. So this podcast is a little bit different than ones I had done or that I've done previously. Uh, it's kind of a co podcast with the guys um, from the Big Woods Buck, uh, Bucks podcast. So Hal Blood and his crew. Um, we had a few technical difficulties, so my my audio <clears throat> is a little different than probably what you're used to uh, used to hearing. Uh, but nonetheless, cool conversation. Super appreciative of those guys having me on having me on their show. If you're not familiar with Hal and his crew. Um, they are masters at, uh, big woods hunting, especially when you get up into like the, the, the main area, um, that type of kind of big woods, uh, big woods hunting. They predominantly are, are tracking, uh, for the, for the most part, um, is really how they kind of, is how they, is how they get it done. And I think you'd probably be hard pressed to find, you know, some fellows that have, you know, better woodsmanship than, than they do. You know, Hal's kind of written the book on, on this, on this type of hunting to a degree or the modern version, maybe I should say. Um, I just recently kind of wrapped up one of his big woods bucks books. Um, that's hard to say actually. Um, uh, just wrapped up that book and it's, you know, even though I don't do a lot of uh, tracking hunting around here, it's something that I'm always trying to get better at is, uh, you know, just being, becoming a better woodsman. It, It helps you in, and all facets of, of hunting and scouting and, and things of that nature. And it's always kind of a good tool to have in your, having your toolbox. Um, and you know, I do want to do, as I've kind of talked about for the past, you know, last season and then going into this season, I'm trying to do more and more ground hunting where, where it's applicable. And, you know, they're predominantly hunting from, from the ground. I mean, they're not really getting into elevated sets. They're, you know, they're still hunting and they're tracking by and large is, is, is how they're getting it done. So, uh, super cool show for you today. in in regards to that, two things to pass along to you guys, uh, so skullbrewcoffee.com head over there, use the promo code truth and pick up some, uh, a discount on some coffee. Uh, we have some single pour over packs, which are perfect for if you're traveling to hunt. So if you're doing any kind of out of state turkey hunts or turkey camps or whatever, and you don't want that shitty camp coffee, you can pick up some of these on the website, um, uh, and have those for your, for your trips. It's actually what I use whenever I go out of town and do my scouting trips. And then if you're interested in any truth from the stand merch, you can head over to truthfromthestand.com. There's a merch page, click on it, see what you like, click on that and use the promo code TFTS21 to get yourself a discount on some merch. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's podcast. And as always, thank you all for listening. Welcome to the Big Woods Bucks podcast. I'm your host, Hal Blood, sitting over here in beautiful Rangeley with Leon Libby Howdy. and Joe Cruzy. Hello. And today... Our guest is Clint Campbell from Truth from the Stand podcast. We're kind of doing a dual podcast. He wanted to talk to us about Bigwood stuff, and and uh, so he's going to record it for his end of it too. So that's going to be cool. So welcome, Clint. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you guys having me on. Good morning to you. I hope you guys have a have a cup of Joe in your hand and uh, ready to talk some some deer hunt with you, fellas. We don't have any Joe because Lee wouldn't make us any. Well, I'll tell you, this is a true story. I left the house without my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I actually you, stopped at the store, but 
Usually when anyone says, this is a true story, I'm not it's, lying. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. The, not the yeah. truth, but that's the truth. <laughs> they don't give you any credit down here at the I store in do, town? I do, but I just don't want to be that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll pay you for... I'll pay you next Tuesday for a cheeseburger today. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's nice that you guys have the uh, have have the relationship with the with the folks at the stores where you can get some credit around here, man. It's uh, no no cash, no service in these oh, uh, yeah. neck of the woods. Yeah, the I hate to say this, but in my travels, I don't know anything south of the New Hampshire border, right to the edge of the Rocky Mountains is uh, it's a whole different world, but. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, I grew up in a, a small hometown. Uh, my family owned a, uh, or my my step grandfather, I guess I should say, owned a feed and farm supply all of his all of his life. He was a successful businessman. Um, dropped out of school when he was a kid, and uh, that's how that business operated. And for as long as I can remember, and I still think it, it operates that way, where they operate on credit. Like farmers will come in, drop off their feed, have it ground or have it processed or whatever. And then basically just have credit, or if they need something, they'll they'll get it on credit, and there'll be an IOU for the fall or for, for whenever they harvest. Yeah, um, you know, so it's still it the buddy be. system back there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Berry store in the forks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, still, Gordon is nice. great for that. I still do a lot of that up, Jack. When I go to the grocery store, I just sign the slip and go over mm-hmm. to Power Sports and sign the slip and. Everywhere in town, I just signed the slip and they send a bill the end of the month. And yeah, they're like, probably adding on customary ten percent because it's you. No, they're taking off ten percent <laughs> if you if you pay within a certain amount of time. Ten days, right? Good deal. Right. All right. Yeah, I was up in a small little uh, part of the part of the country here. I went uh, up north here in Pennsylvania, up toward the Poconos Mountains, and it's kind of <clears throat> perfect timing to be chatting with you guys because you know one of my goals this past year has been to find some larger uh, blocks of public in and around Pennsylvania. Cause where I live is pretty suburban and you'll find some smaller pieces, but I'll travel a little bit out to the Midwest and find some bigger woods and stuff like that. But I wanted something closer to home that I could get to within maybe three hours. And so I headed up to the Pocono mountains into the, uh, it's probably an 80,000 acre chunk. And I'll tell you what, I had, I had a, have a lot of respect for those who do big woods hunting exclusively, you know, or as their primary um, way of hunting. Uh, Cause I, I went up there and got my, got my ass kicked pretty much <laughs> for two days and uh, wandered about. And there were just places that I got into where I was like, I can't believe there would actually be a deer that lives here, you know? And so I'm just curious, you know, when you guys walk onto a new piece or a piece that maybe is unfamiliar to you, whether it's, in Maine or wherever the case might be, you know, how, how long does it take you to kind of get a spot dialed in or get a place dialed into where you start actually running into deer or something you would consider to be huntable? Uh, sometimes you never do. Sometimes you just <laughs> got to keep walking until you walking. find them. <laughs> so we're not really looking for that. Like you're looking for uh, what we call like a pod of deer that you can kind of figure out you know, their bedding and their feeding areas and where you want to set your stand. I assume that's what you're looking for. And um, we might cover 10 or 12 miles a day just looking for that one bruiser track that we want to spend, you know, the rest of the day on. And if we don't find him or we find him late in the day, we might go back to that same spot. But it's, uh, I don't think any of us generally go right back to the same area every single day, unless there's something in there. Like if there's a 
a buck in an area that we know goes 250 dead, yeah, I'll go back. Yeah. I mean, is there is there a particular sign that you would that you would look for that would tell you? So aside from a track, let's say, you know, because uh, I wasn't able to kind of I wasn't able to cut any a track that I thought was that I thought was decent. There was still just a little bit of snow, but it was also melted off. That even when I found tracks, you couldn't really tell you know much about what that deer was you know and i think the part that i maybe struggled with a little bit was you know and i've i've seen this in different parts of the country that i've hunted that you know the sign's not created equal in all these places so you know i'll give you an example the big woods piece that i've hunted you know in in the midwest that has really you know good caliber deer you know they uh they surprisingly leave smaller sign than the smaller deer that i find in pennsylvania and I don't know if that's because mature deer's core ranges aren't overlapping as much there as they are here or or what the case is. And so I might have been getting bamboozled a little bit by the size of the sign that I was finding and maybe walking past something that was good. So how do you guys kind of look at the sign whenever you're when you're walking through, you know, a big woods chunk outside of a track? Like, do you or, or the rubs? Are you looking for monster rubs? Are they oftentimes smaller rubs, you know, scrapes like? I guess just talk to me a little bit about how, how you guys kind of, what criteria you use to evaluate that. I just look for the signpost rubs. And, and if you're in that big a type of woods up there, there should be some because there's not going to be the hunting pressure in that kind of woods to kill off the older age deer. So, but to find signpost rubs, like, like, like a lot of people say, I can't find any in my woods. Like, especially like um, Vermont's one. Guys very rarely ever find one there, but it's because the deer don't live long enough to to create them, you know. So right. those are made by deer throughout their life, and then other ones take over, and several might use the same ones. And in those areas, they usually stay signpost areas pretty much forever unless something drastically changes. So that's what I look for. And I I think there's probably a, even though, you know, you're talking the Midwest and big woods, it's a big tract of woods, but it's the deer there are, I think, I'm assuming are are way different than what we have up here as far as their, uh, their habits. I mean, we have migrating deer here. Not, not that that makes the difference during hunting season, but I think it, my, my guess is that the deer down there are more keyed on your typical things like your food sources and all that, um, where they have a more, uh, predictable bedding area and that sort of thing where during hunting season, especially during the rut, I mean, like Lee was saying, they might go 10 or 12 miles or whatever, you know, in a day. So I, I, that Gorham Gore, when I started guiding for hell 2006, a hundred years ago, yeah, it's gated. Don't worry, buddy. It ain't the same. It ain't the same either. Chris is gonna beep that out. Uh, yeah, beep it out. So anyway, so I came from Southern Maine, which you know down there when it was legal, we used to drive parcels of deer and or you know farmland, and everybody knew where the deer were gonna cross. They were either gonna cross by the old hemlock tree or through the stone wall, or you know they'd cross the dirt road here or whatever. So. When I started guiding for him, he gave me a township that was, I don't know, eight to 10,000 acres. And so 
when I first started, I started to break it down because those deer hadn't been hunted a lot. They had done a really nice job with a selective harvest. So these deer, once you bumped them or gave them a little pressure, they actually would cross in these pretty close to these same spots. Hal thought I was a little bit crazy, but I'm, sh- I preached that once I, uh, I did a, a seminar in Kittery and I was trying to get people that were a little bit timid or scared of the woods to just take a piece like eight or 10,000 acres and break it down and get really comfortable and try and figure out the deer in that area so that, you know, while you were tracking, you might be able to get ahead of that deer, but, right. um, yeah, that's, you know, and I'll often try to kind of do that and kind of look at a piece, you know, on the map and try to concentrate my efforts in, in an area because you know when you look at a piece it's tens of thousands or however many thousands of acres it can be a little bit daunting because you're like where in god's green earth am i going to find deer in this whole in this whole chunk especially if there's a it's a spot where the deer density is low in general you know Um, that that eight or ten thousand acres becomes real small once you get comfortable with it i can tell you and what what's the pressure like there as well i mean i would imagine a piece of public land in the midwest is going to have a consider i would assume would have a considerable amount of pressure yeah it's it's hit and miss really um the one spot in in ohio uh last year i didn't see a single soul that i was there while i was there now there are places on that piece that you will see people i think it's just like a lot of other places if you're willing to go further back and get away from the road and stuff like that then um you find some clean some clean areas um in the spot that i was at in pennsylvania this weekend, I did not come across one bit of human sign while I was in the timber. Um, and I stopped and talked to a couple locals and just asked them about, you know, how often it gets hunted. Cause I primarily, I primarily bow hunt, um, and I'll bow hunt even during gun season. Um, and they basically said during bow season that it wouldn't be, it would be hardly anybody there that there are some guys that come in during gun season and stuff. But for the most part, you know, they don't, they don't see a lot of guys. Um, so that area is pretty, pretty remote so i feel like i should be pretty clean for the most part um but you definitely get your fair share of hunting pressure otherwise and you know in in the adjacent areas it's just trying to find those diamonds in the rough i guess well that's what you have to do because 90 percent of the hunters are hunting that peripheral so you're willing to get back in that's where those big bucks are going to be they're not going to hang around where the hunters are they just they're going to live where where they don't feel that pressure so that's just where you have to go. But right. if what I would tell you to do is just look for signposts if you're in those Poconos. I would say uh, down there they would be on hemlocks, white oak, and red cedar. I think, is yeah, there's got to be red cedar yeah. there. Yeah. Those are your trees down that way. I would say that most of your signposts would be on. Okay. So just look for those trees and it might be a, you know, a small or one red cedar tree out in the middle of a hardwood ridge somewhere. You go look at it. I bet you it's going to have be rubbed, you know? Yeah. Something, it's funny. Something about it. Yeah. It's funny you say that because every time I see one of those while I'm walking, I always make my way over to it. If I mm-hmm. see a lone cedar somewhere, it's like I go, I go look at it, you know, cause I think if anything, if it, if it draws your eye almost, right. Yeah, it's probably going to draw the deer's eye. The the other thing that I ran into here, I'm curious with you guys, like, what's the 
what's the terrain look like where you guys are where you guys are hunting? Because what I found in this particular piece that I went to, you know, the elevation was actually driving into the to the mountain. I think it was like twenty four hundred feet or something like that. And there was a little bit of an incline to get it into where I was wanting to scout, but it was basically a mountain top. And once you got there, the terrain was very, very subtle. Um, and for the most part flat, and there was a lot of mountaintop swamps up there, which was, I hunt a lot of swamps where I live, um, and low lying areas. But a lot of times when I'm hunting bigger woods, it's like I'm hunting ridge systems and stuff like that, almost kind of like hill country. So this kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop where, I got up there and whenever I was scouting on top, what looked like on the map to be a clear cut ended up being a swamp, you know, because it, it kind of showed somewhat similarly on the map, um, you know, or at least on, on Onyx. Uh, and so what, I guess, what's the terrain look like where you guys are hunting? Do you guys run into a lot of flat tops like that? And if so, how do you hunt those or how do you kind of break those down? Ain't too many flat tops in in our country. Yeah. I get I get one on my head. That's yeah. <laughs> but there is swamps. There's all these mountains up here. There's going to be swamps because they're full of water. So any places a you know a f- little bit of a flat or a pocket or something. But yeah, there's always some kind of swamp. They might not be huge, but I found some pretty good size swamps up there and actually like old beaver flows there'll be swale grass because at one time there'd be beavers in them you know mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and i did run into a couple guys that were actually uh trapping beavers while i was there and uh so it i don't know i always i always kind of heard from some of my buddies that hunt, hunt in and around some beaver dams and stuff said <laughs> told me if you find beavers uh you're gonna find deer so stick around beaver dams. <laughs> I don't know if there's any truth to that or not, but. Well, I think there is in a certain extent. They they like, it's an opening, especially in woods that isn't logged much. There's more feed around a beaver flow just because there's more sunlight comes in and different mm-hmm. plants grow around the edges and stuff. And I always check like the lower end of a beaver flowage, you know, if there's a dam or was a dam, they just seem to be a natural place for for deer to cross you know mm-hmm. and do you i mean i'm sorry go ahead nope, nope. go ahead no i was just going to say do you, i mean do you is that where you'll find you know so just say for example you're you're me and you're going to a brand new spot you know would that be a place that you would kind of target and spend some time to try to find a track or find a signpost rub or, you know, find that significant sign that you're looking for. Do you feel like they congregate in those areas and lay down more sign there than maybe in other places? Yeah. And naturally if they're feeding, you know, if there's more feed there, you might find some more tracks. But, um, I think when we're cruising looking, it's, it's at a pretty good speed. (laughs) Yeah. You might, you might pass through an area like that while you're going, but, um, I don't think, the way that we hunt here, we're not necessarily looking for specific small spots like that as much as general areas that, you know, I think a lot of it is past experience, whether it's looking for a place to hang a stand. Um, you know, it, for me anyway, it's where I've followed deer before and seen, you know, like Lee was talking about places that they've, um, crossed over the years or you you go back and it's like man this is three years in a row i've been in this area and the deer have come through the same 
maybe not the same trail, but maybe the same valley or whatever it is. And I think that's really the best scout there is. It's, it, it's difficult. It's more difficult, I think, in our area to go and do a spot, you know, head up because that, you know, they're not in the same, they're not in the same area in the summer that they're necessarily going to be in the fall. And uh, right. so it's, it's a little more difficult to kind of pin them down. Right. But I mean, that's, <clears throat> it's twice that you've met that has been mentioned, you know, how quickly you guys might move, move through the woods. Um, and, you know, and I, I think some people will kind of mistake maybe still hunting for um, tracking, right. To a degree, like those who maybe aren't have experienced both. Right. And I might be one of them. Right. So um, I guess, can you talk to me a little bit about, how you'll go from like that quick kind of rate of speed kind of moving, moving through and what kind of triggers you to kind of, to start to slow down, you know, or like, because I've, I've heard other people that kind of hunt similarly kind of talk about that to where it's like, they'll move through a, a chunk of timber quickly where they maybe aren't expecting to find what they're, you know, particularly looking for, but then they'll hit certain pockets or certain areas where it's like, they'll start to slow themselves down because now they feel like they're getting into a spot where they could have, either an encounter or they could be picking up some minuscule, you know, sign that might kind of lead, you know, be a puzzle piece to kind of help facilitate the track or the, uh, the rest of the day's hunt or whatever the case is. What, how do you kind of go from like moving quickly to slowing down? You know, what, what is that thing that triggers you? Well, well I think first, you know, there, there's a huge difference between tracking and still hunting. Um, so if you're tracking this, the speeding up and slowing down is not necessarily, it's not dictated by, necessarily the terrain that's around you, but by what the tracks are doing and what the deer is doing, that's, what's going to speed you up or slow you down. Um, whereas still hunting is just that you're doing it. You can do it without snow or with snow or whatever, but you know, you're basically walking, stalking through the woods slowly and quietly trying to kill a deer that way, as opposed to being on his tracks and chasing them. I think maybe what they're talking about is like Joe said, if you're on bare ground and you come to this big hardwood ridge where you can see a couple hundred yards, you could probably cruise through that pretty quickly. And then if you came into one of those cedar swamps or mm -hmm. hunting down a brook stream or something, you might want to slow down because your eyes not going to pick it up so fast, you know, but yeah, that would be like Joe said, and obviously Hal's wrote the book on it, but, um, mm -hmm. You know, that deer track that we've picked for the day will tell us when to slow down and when to speed up based on what he's doing or if he comes into a pocket of does or if we think right. he's found a good spot where he wants to lay down for the day. But, right. yeah, we're going to have to send you a book. Send him a book, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice, yeah. I'll take I'll take all the help I can get, man, with the, with the tracking and, and, and still hunting. It's uh, How old? Hunting's how old are you? Um, 42. Yeah. So you really should come up and spend a week with us at Palin. And it yeah. would probably, if you're 42 in good health, good spirits, yeah. and you don't mind working harder than anybody else, um, this tracking is yeah. where it's at. You're, yeah. It's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that it's going to be, I mean, you, the principles, are basically the same. It's just that you got to incorporate the principles that I talk about into a different area because you got different trees, 
down down that way uh you probably don't have as much logging as we have so which is what attracts the deer especially you know the the does the does and the young bucks are always going to be around the good feed you know the the cuttings and that stuff we don't have really mass crops to you know that they seek out like you down your way i mean the acorns i mean those crops is really what dictates a lot of where the deer are on any given year right yeah yeah but we don't have that even even people talk about the beech nuts here which they're not reliable they're every two or three years and some trees have them some don't but they're just not enough of that to uh for the deer to be attracted and and migrate to it because quite frankly the bears have cleaned most of them up before they ever hit the ground anyways so it's not really the mass crops is not a big factor it's it's more about you know getting the kind of feed that's around the cuts right but but when i scout that stuff i just i move along like you know pretty quickly until i see the sign i don't i don't waste any time if i'm not seeing any sign that sign could be tracks it could be rubs it could be scrapes or whatever it is but if i'm not seeing sign i'm i'm get i'm out of there i'm just passing through until I get to where I start to see some sign, then I'll slow down and start trying to figure out how that sign is, you know, connecting up with other sign or where it comes and goes from that particular spot. And that's it. And then you'll find within that, if you took a piece of woods that was 10,000 acres, your job really is to find out where that buck sign is in that 10,000, you know, and along the way, you're going to figure out where there might be some does hanging. But to me, in the, it, it's really irrelevant for the most part until you maybe get into the rut or something. You want to go check that out. But other than that, I'm just looking for where those old bucks are, where they're using it. Because any place you find that sign, signposts and that type of stuff, that's where they travel. So that's all you're mm-hmm. looking for is to find those spots in that piece of woods is where they're traveling. And if you find enough enough of them spots, you can just connect the dots from one to the next and might figure out how they're getting through that woods. And they're using right. the lay of the land. It might be, you know, they come down across some ridge in a saddle. Or, you know, there's certain ways they travel. I always call it the path of least resistance. You know, they don't go normally traveling in the hardest place to travel you know they're like mm-hmm. anybody else they want to walk in the the easiest going for the most part and they don't want to go in through a you know the thickest stuff that a rabbit would go into they don't normally want to do that now i know that's where they go on the pressured deer but we ain't talking about those deer we're talking about the big woods type deer that they don't have the hunting pressure and you know, they can get bigger. You you can almost, you see that sometimes unless you're tracking and have a certain condition, you don't realize, but you know, you'll say you're going across the cut and it's windy and there's a lot of times you'll lose a track a little bit. Like if it's snowing or if it's wind blowing over and you're, and you're looking and you can almost after following that deer for a while, you can just 
you you figure out ahead of time like you go across the cut you can almost pick where he's going you know and pick the track up again um mm-hmm. because they're predictable a lot of times like that oh yeah same way on if it's a lot of bare ground or or right you know patches of snow you just you can almost see where they're gonna go you know they're not gonna dive in and just like get into the crap all the time. They might duck in there to look for a doe or something, but in their normal travel, they they like the path of least resistance. And what I would do if I was you would would follow the same as you, we would do here is to find the sign is follow the water, you know, the trickles, the spring seeps, the little streams, and then also keep yourself in the transition zones between that hardwood and the softwood, you know, typically here. We have the soft with the green growth on mm-hmm. the in the bottom, in the top, in the hardwood in the middle. Mm-hmm. Some places it's different than that. You know, you some places there's hardwoods right across the top of these mountains, but we don't right. have that. But you know, there's always a transition zone from the thicker softwood type to the open hardwoods, and that that edge is just inside that transition is where they like to travel the most. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, I, this past weekend I did find, you know, there was one area that I had a little bit of topography to, to help, help me out, I guess, so to speak. And, um, it's actually, it was a swamp. It was a clear, a new, a newer clear cut. And on the backside of it was a little bit of a, an older clear cut. And then behind that was a, a swamp yet. And I kind of made my way through, ended up picking up a, a rub. And then there was just a little bit of snow in a couple of these places. And I could kind of see where, there was a track, I couldn't tell what it was, of course, but at this point I was looking for proof of life. I just wanted to know where deer were headed and where they were going. So I started following it and it, like you kind of said, windblown or it was melted out, you know, so I couldn't see it. But I, at least here I had topography that was pushing them in a certain direction. So I kind of knew where the deer was going to go. And so I would lose the track a little bit and I'd walk maybe 30 yards, 40 yards, 50 yards. And I'd see, see another set of tracks because there was really only a specific way if you were a deer that you would probably want to go. You know, and so that was that little bit of terrain was incredibly helpful. And I think the other part that kind of was thrown here for a loop was, you know, I, I do hunt a good amount around clear cuts. And so without that edge, you know, or without that defined edge, I was really kind of in no man's land <laughs> to a degree. And without, you know, tracks or without a, an edge or without significant topography to kind of help me navigate where I thought deer would kind of move and, and use to travel you know, I was really kind of throwing, uh, throwing stuff against the wall and seeing if it was going to stick. But I think that that's helpful because there are a lot of seeps and runoffs that I was seeing on the maps. And I think when I go back, it's like, I probably need to pay more attention to those particular places and spend some time there. Cause I think you'll, they'll, what you're saying, I think will be there, which will be those transitions between the, the hard and soft woods. And, you know, that water of course will help me kind of navigate my way through. Yeah. I was just thinking when you were talking about topography and stuff i was out a few days ago off trail riding and i found a uh this this little uh valley that ran up and it was all soft what hadn't been cut and instantly it was just one of those spots that you know i said i got to come back and put a couple cameras in here because there's no way just because of the way the natural the natural land and the trees that are in there and everything else it's, it's a travel corridor for sure Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes things like that just jump out. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was interesting because on the map, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen it. It was so it was so subtle that unless I was there, I wasn't going to recognize that the topography was kind of making like defining that movement in that in that particular area. Um, but I'm I'm curious, man. Like, I think so. I guess let's talk about tracking real quick, or just tracks in general. Because again, I'm a novice at looking at tracks. You know, I've seen what I've believed to be a big buck track when you know when I've been in Missouri or Iowa, and um, have found maybe fewer of them in pencil in Pennsylvania. But you know, how big of a track are you particularly looking for, and what? What all are you kind of gleaning from that track in terms of intel? I'm going to go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tracks are relative to the area anyways. And the deer you have down there, you're not going to compare them to tracks up here. Even your tracks, what what you think are big tracks, in the Midwest and Iowa and all that, they're still not going to be as big as the tracks we have here because it's a different subspecies of deer. Like when we, we've we hunted in Ontario with this big deer, you know, and any of that, you know, kind of country, but the tracks still aren't as big as they are here. So it's not all about, it's, it's you've got to be looking for what a big track is in your area. Mm-hmm. I've always written about here. It's a, it's a three by three. I call it, but it's really they they never really square like that. It's it's usually if one is three inches wide, it's probably three and a half long. Could be longer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's always a little longer than it is wide. But but I would think down there, if you if you're talking down around those Poconos, I would think those deer are similar in size to like. Adirondack deer, would that be right? Yeah, I think that'd be pretty pretty fair assumption. Yeah. So down that way, I mean, I've hunted enough in the Adirondacks, you know, you probably ain't ever going to find a three-inch one there. You know what I mean? You just, if you, that's what right. you're looking for when you go there or, or down in your Poconos, uh, good luck, you know. Right. But if you see something that's two and a half wide, that's probably on the big side for that area, see? Mm-hmm. So that's what you got to go by is what's what size is it for the area you're hunting? Right. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's other factors too. Like, you know, that big deer doesn't just have a big track. It might be a a long deer with a super long stride, you know. I mean, we can see them 30-inch strides up here, which is, you know, that just tells you that's a big, long deer. And we all know those long deer way up much better than the short deer do and then the width of the stance you know like you know how as we get older our chest falls into our belly well (laughs) the the deer's chest just falls straight between its front legs right so it kind of as they get older it pushes them out so if those tracks are kind of overlapping and one of the books has a good picture where 
uh, the 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 front track's actually a little wider than the back track, so it looks like the deer's got three toes in a sense, you know. <clears throat> and that right. tells you that that deer is wider in the front, which would basically tell you he's got to be four or five years old. Right. So, yeah. But any of the any of the mature bucks, no matter where you're at, they're going to have, like Lee said, they'll be they'll be wider apart, but they'll also drag their feet. That's that's a trait you can look for in the snow. If their feet are dragging in in an inch of snow, it's probably a nice mature buck. So, and yeah. you got to think you probably got buddies that weigh 250, 260 with a with a size 10 foot and you probably got that one guy that weighs 140 that's 63 with a size 14, you know. So, <laughs> you got to it's all relative. I have a size, you know, I wear a size 9 lacrosse boot. Mm-hmm. But uh so yeah. and I and I'm no uh 140. <laughs> <laughs> and the width of you know the stagger of the tracks too is always something that you're looking at like what lee was talking about it's not just uh where the back feet are compared to the front but overall your how wide the tracks are apart you know a doe is going to basically be in a straight line and uh you know a buck is going to have you're hoping eight eight or ten inches or something yeah. right you know stagger yeah that was one thing that was one thing that I was reading, you know, because I, I did read, I forget which book it was that I, uh, by how that I read recently, but you, you were talking about being fooled a little bit by potentially being fooled by doe tracks, that that can happen, especially for someone that maybe is new picking up tracks. Um, how will sometimes a, a big mature doe, how are those tracks kind of look similar to a, to a buck's track? How, how will someone get fooled by that? Well, they can be big, you know. Sometimes I've seen some really big doe tracks up here. You know, they wouldn't be like a like the size of a, you know, one of them big old toe drag of bucks. They wouldn't be that size, but we got does here that'll go pretty near 200 pounds. So guess what? They're going to have a yeah. foot similar to a 200-pound buck track, right? Right. And uh but but if you get on one of those, you the thing is, is don't try to necessarily decipher is it a buck or is it a doe. Just take it and you're going to figure it out. If it makes a rub or a scrape, mm-hmm. you know, it's a buck. But quite often, some of them, I've tracked bucks all day long where they went all night and never made a rub, never made a scrape or anything. They don't always have to do that. But a doe is going to act different. A doe's on a different... Uh, on a different mission they're just feeding you know what i mean mostly and laying down they're not gonna i mean you know they might travel from one ridge to the next sometime just to get there but they don't have the pattern of doing things like a buck does but you can figure it out pretty quickly you don't have to be on one of them doe tracks very far to figure that out see where they took a leak and it's yeah you can tell that pretty quick or Right. And, and everyone's tracked a doe before, you know, oh, yeah. everyone, you know, that's all part of learning is, is you get all excited and think you got a nice track and, and, uh, you know, everyone's done it and find out whether you're falling a little, you know, fall a little ways, like Hal was saying and figure it out or jump it or whatever. When right. you jump it, you're like, Oh, that buck's gotta be right here. That couldn't be the one I was tracking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was. <laughs> so 
I mean, I, I understand how to, or how, you know, to, I shouldn't say understand. I recognize how you would pick up a track or a good track in snow, right? I think the part that baffles me is like, how do you, how would you go about doing this on bare ground? You know, where, you know, how, how do you track in bare ground? Or do you guys not, is that more something you just do strictly in the snow and maybe you're just more specifically still hunting, you know, whenever you have uh, dry or, you know, non-snowy conditions? Dry conditions, you're not going to track anyways. The only time you right. can really, really track on bare ground is if it's right after a rain or you had snow and it melted off and the leaves are flat. And then you've got one day before the sun curls them up again, they dry out. It's not anything that happens a lot. A lot of times you might be picking through bare ground, you know, because the snow's melting or, you know, there's not, not not much snow like underneath the green growth. You know, you might have got an inch of snow in the hardwoods, but you get in the green canopy and it's bare ground. So you're not bare ground tracking much at all. You're just, you know, if you're on bare ground, you're looking for sign, still hunting, you know, looking for big tracks punched in. Sometimes you can, if there's a big heavy one, you know, and he's got punching in up through the hardwoods, you can follow it. Right to see where it goes but you never you're not going 10 miles on it you're not going yeah you're not going to go you can't make you can't cover enough ground even probably catch up with them the only time it's kind of funny the only i haven't even caught up to all that many on bare ground but i i caught up to two in one day i it was the funniest day i caught up to two bucks on bare ground tracking them and uh, one in the morning one in the afternoon but usually it doesn't happen you know Right. I guess, I guess at that point, if you happen to cross, you know, bare ground, maybe you had a little bit of snow or whatever, then you, you kind of go back to probably what you're talking about, which is kind of thinking about what's that path of least resistance. If you are going to continue to pursue that, that buck, you know, what's he going to use and where is he likely going? Right. Yeah. Then it just becomes a still hunting day, you know, on bare ground. If we have to go, if we have a client, then, you know, you got to go and you got to make the best of it. So I would say our, my next tactic anyways on a on bare ground is to still hunt but it's still in my opinion just a big scouting mission you know mm-hmm. even when i'm still hunting it's i don't take 10 steps and stop and walk like a deer and all that i'm just i go to spots where my my memory or my history will take me to oh i remember tracked a buck through here one day or tracked a buck through there one day let's go see what that looks like you know, and looking for signpost rubs because if I had to set, I'd I'd set on a signpost rub all day. Right, <laughs> right. The uh, it's interesting that you mentioned. You know, you wouldn't be creeping through the woods necessarily, walking like a deer, or walking like a buck, or whatever. And that was something that I never really thought of um, consciously while I'm hunting. And I think a lot of people, even those who probably do hunt from the ground a lot, still hunt a lot maybe don't think of it as often as they should, but using something to break up your cadence. Can you talk about that a little bit? Cause that to me was just like one of those, like maybe uh, not thought of often enough tactic that could be really, really helpful, which is breaking up your cadence as you're walking. Oh, I don't know. Like, <clears throat> so like I said before, if I was, if I was just trying to get across the hardwood ridge or something, and you can see a couple hundred yards, you can just walk 
you know, don't, and if, and, uh, trying to get to that next cedar bog where if you wanted to sneak down through a cedar bog and just take your time and kind of poke around and look really good, that would slow you down. But, um, no, and I don't, I'm not, you know, if I want to walk quiet in the woods, I usually, you know, you can walk quiet in the woods, but I'd rather find a stream or a brook, we call it, and walk down along that brook because I can still make pretty good time without having to worry about too much noise because the water's going to kind of muffle it. I've actually I almost killed a big buck one day walking down a brook. The The leaves would, you know, it was bare ground. The leaves were frozen solid, and it sounded like he was walking on potato chips. And mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> I just, uh, this buck and doe had just crossed the road. We saw it cross the road. I knew about where he was and breakneck brook ran down through it. So I jumped right in the brook and uh, I went about 300 yards and there he was getting ready to mount that doe. And I won't tell you what I was shooting for a gun, but it was a Remington 700. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I don't know why I pulled the gun apart to clean it the night before. And I put a drop of oil in that firing pin mechanism and that wouldn't go forward fast enough to, it would leave a dent in the primer, but it wouldn't make it go off. And that deer walked away. But so yeah, so you know, I just if I slow down, it's got to be in a pretty good spot where I think there might be something right here, and just kind of sneak through. And if there's right. not, then I can't help myself. If I get into a cedar spruce cedar bog, I can't help myself but just to creep. Yeah, there's no deer sign. It doesn't. I just I always feel like there's a deer behind. <laughs> every blowdown when I go through those areas. So Clint, I don't think your cadence matters. If you're going walking through the leaves, if you just walk steady, cause that's, that's what them bucks do when they're traveling anyways. But the only time I worry about some kind of a cadence is, is more like if it's a uh, crusty snow mm-hmm. because our feet are different, obviously. You know, when we walk in that crust, it's not just a it's a and and the deer know that's not normal. So that's when you have to try to change your cadence because you know you're loud anyways. You're not going to walk up to a deer trying to sneak in it. So you're better off then to just just walk quick without rolling your feet. Just kind of set your feet down straight and just you know, take right. four or five, six steps and then stop and wait a minute. That's the only time I really like actually do that s- stop and go still hunting type thing is on the crust because you don't have much other choice. But And quite often you can get pretty close to them because they don't want to run in the crust either. You know, mm-hmm. they know they're making noise. They don't, especially if the crust is a little deeper, they don't, it hurts their legs when they're jumping in it. They don't want to run they're just more as likely to stand around and and look and see what's coming and you just might get a shot doing that or you might hear them many a times i've heard them if it's a little thicker i've heard them walking ahead of me you know i'm walking i stop and listen and i can hear them walking a little bit well then you might pull out your grunt call or your bleat call and and try that because then they just think it's another deer right that, that's what I was going to say is I love a grunt call for cover, you know, walking like that, walking and stopping, grunt a little bit, at least might give you a little bit of time if he's close by. Right. Doesn't it sound yeah. fun? 
Doesn't it sound funner than sitting in a tree stand? <laughs> hey, hey, I'm telling you, I'll, I'll take you guys up on that. I will. I will. Uh, I love Maine. I've, I've been there once. And I had a great time there. I just I took my family on vacation there, um, and we just absolutely love spending time there. You did some hiking and stuff like that. Mm. And it's just it's a style of hunting that just really intrigues me. Um, you know, I grew up hunting, you know, from the ground and you know still hunting with my dad. Really, it was kind of how we hunted. Like I never had a tree stand or anything growing up. Um, it was always just kind of on the move. And that was kind of how my dad liked to, how he liked to hunt. And, uh, he would bow hunt once in a while, but when he did, it was with a recurve and he would only really do it. And he would only really do it on windy and rainy days because he didn't want to just sit. He would essentially just use the wind as cover or the, you know, if it rained previously to be quiet in the timber and he would try to, you know, he kind of knew where deer might be bedded and he would just try to stock up on them yeah you know and that's fun. and uh yeah and that was kind of how i grew up and then it was you know years later and when i started really kind of bow hunting more seriously that then i started hunting more specifically from an elevated setup and as i'm gone now it's like i have this uh desire to be back on the ground to be proficient at hunting from the ground um you know I why just, you wanna, know why you started getting in the tree stand why is that because everybody on TV did. <laughs> <laughs> and there's places well, in the country where you have, we get that. You know what I mean? We right. get, you know, and I've been invited to Kansas to private leases. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, when I said, yeah, I'll entertain the other idea, they send you a list of things you can and can't do. One thing, you have to set in the stand that they pick. You can't right. move from the stand all day long. You know what I mean? You can't. There's mm-hmm. just so many things. And I get it. I get it. But it's just not our style, yeah. you know, what I like to do. Yeah, most of those was yeah. all you're going to do is push deer all over the place and the guy next to you is going to shoot them. Yeah, you know, up here, up here, I mean, if we happen to see another set of boot tracks in a day, it's, you know, that's kind of discouraging. Odd. Discouraging, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of combat hunting that goes on over here in Raisley, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, we can always find right. a place to get away. Right. And I think that to me is why I, you know, have this interest of being able to hunt from the ground is for that reason is because when you live in a state like Pennsylvania that has as much hunting pressure as we do, the places that are often open and maybe that don't have as much pressure places that people can't hang tree stands you know because they're not willing to hunt from the ground or whatever the case is and so i started kind of recognizing that and i thought i was like well i need to become more proficient at this because these are areas that are probably going to have the best opportunities where mature deer are going to run to because they're getting away from people and no one can hang a tree stand in here you know so that was really kind of one of the reasons for, you know, wanting to try to get, try to get better at it. And I did have a couple encounters from the ground last year. I wasn't tracking, but had a couple of decent encounters. So yeah, I have a, have a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a lot to learn. Like I said, hell's, I mean, I still read the books before deer season. I start to freshen up or I pick up a chapter because I mean, it's, it's a hard lesson on the first day of good snow when you screw something up and you're like, shit, I knew better. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I remember a couple of years ago I was talking to Hal about aging tracks and asking some questions and everything, and he says, "Well, I covered it right in the book. Didn't you? <laughs> didn't you read it? <laughs> Oops, sorry, boss, but not last night. Sorry, because that, that's one of the, that's really one of the to me that's one of the most challenging parts of tracking is is aging. 
that's yeah so how so what is the kind of the process for that because i mean i could look at a track and just me being newer at it i wouldn't be able to tell you if it happened last night if it happened three days ago depending on what the weather conditions were have you ever listened to this podcast clint and i recently and i recently read uh i recently read one of one of the books Good. No, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that everybody's got their theory, but I like my theory of uh, when I first started, and I was actually taught this by Kevin Harrison, who used to guide with us. And uh, so, you know, at, at your age, you've probably started getting up during the night to go pee, you know. <laughs> but I would, uh, I'd go, before I went to bed, I'd go step in the snow outside. And then when I get up in the middle of the night, I'd go outside and put my foot in the snow again right beside of it. And when I get up in the morning, before I got dressed, I'd go put my foot in the snow. And then when I walked out fully dressed, I'd reach down and I'd touch all three of those spots. And you could clearly see the difference. You know what I mean? So that to me was the easiest way. And then, uh, you know, just trying to stick your fingers in there and see what they feel like. And then, you know, there's all... Hal's probably got different ways, but that's an easy way to get started. You it's know. the crystallized edges, Lee. That's what yeah, I know the crystallized edges. But, you know, <laughs> if you're looking at crystallized edges or you're looking at blowing in snow, you know what I mean? That's why, because you can tell the track at 9 o'clock at night and a track at 4 o'clock in the morning is night and day. All you got to do is right. stick your finger in there. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. You, I would have never, I would have never thought to do that. And it's well, logical. You can think of a lot of shit with a half a gallon of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, some, there's some truth to that. I don't know how much good my thing will be at that point. But, you know, I might have had that thought before and thought better. <laughs> it, it, it is extremely logical, but yeah. I haven't reached the point yet where I, and I'm pushing 50. I don't have to okay. get up at night, so don't, if I don't have to, well, you, you ain't you suck. ain't into that Shut half you. a gallon of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more yeah. beer and whiskey. Okay, right, right. But that does so, make sense. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, it's, and it's turn logical. your phone like, off. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm usually the one getting shit. Yeah. <laughs> Joe's got call calls waiting here. Uh, they can, lined they up. can wait. Lined up. The, the the aging thing, Clint, is the hardest thing in tracking. Some people try to think of all the other things that are hard, you know, working mm-hmm. the track, uh, a, you know, but aging is really, it's the hardest thing because if you don't take a track, if you don't know if it was made last night or two nights ago, you're already, you're already up against it when you get started. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right, right. So aging is the most important thing and 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 it's something the truth of the matter is it's something you can't really you can teach people the the kind of the principles of it or the or what to look for but it's everybody sees things differently so what i see i don't know what you see in your eyes because i i've had people with me guiding people and show them a track that was made an hour ago and one that was made the day before and they could not tell the difference. I'd point out the difference and they couldn't see any difference. So, so everybody looks at things through their own eyes. 
So you have to you have to see what you see and get the experience to see the difference. And it just is experience. You just got to go out and keep doing it, keep looking at them, and have the experience of thinking you were three hours behind a buck, but you were 10 minutes behind them and you jumped them and screwed it up. You know, you just have to right. do all of those things or you ain't going to learn it. And a lot of common I, I, sense falls in with the conditions, whether it's, you know, it just quit snowing four hours ago or you got a dusting or it's really warm out. So it's leaving a, you know, it's a whole different type of track and yeah. And a whole different look. The funniest thing is, is, I shake my head all the time and you you have a you have a snow in the night and you know maybe it quit in the night but it maybe it's still snowing a little in the morning doesn't make any difference and people will go right by a track that's got an inch of snow in it and I'm thinking that thing <laughs> might be an hour old right and but people won't look at it cuz they're always looking for the a fresh what they call a fresh track well that is a fresh track you know what i mean but most people don't even bother with them they don't they don't logic out that you just follow that and it's going to get better all the time you know right i mean it's either going to stop snowing or if you move fast enough you'll gain on it anyways but but people just do that all the time it's crazy you know it's funny to hear him say we got six inches of snow last night i found one old track had two inches of snow in it yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that thing's well, probably three hours old yeah i was just gonna say you can go you can really if you want to get to the nitty-gritty you can do the math if you just look at what the accumulation rate that's was, all right? it is from the weather station that's all it you is I mean? math yeah. Well, that and if you get up again, it goes back to getting up to pee in the night. You know, I always, I look out to see what the weather is. Anyways, I don't. I mean, I don't go out and look at tracks or something. But not to say it is a good idea if you want to learn it. But I, if I get up in the night to pee, which at my age is getting to me more often, I snap the outside light on and I look out because we get snow quite often that they don't even call for. I mean. It might not, might be calling for a clear night. You flip the light on, it's snowing out in the middle of the night, you know. I want to know what, what time that snow came. Because if you just get up in the morning, you hadn't looked outside and there's an inch of snow on the ground, well, you don't know if it came at 10 o'clock at night or 4 in the morning, right? Right. And it makes a big difference when it came. So right. I flick the light on and look and... Go back to bed. If I got to get up again, I flick it on again and look again. Did you think we'd be talking about weather? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I, yeah. I did. Um, just from you know uh, what what I'd read and just just hunting in general. I mean, weather is so important no matter where you know whether you're in Maine or whether you're in you know Nebraska. You know, it's, it's I think with you guys, it's obviously a little bit more significant because you're really looking at the precipitation on the ground from from snow that helps facilitate tracking so i think yeah it, it totally makes sense did, but did you think we were going to be talking about prostate issues that's the problem is it really an issue? <laughs> that's the question <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you better in a month i had to go for my cleansing <laughs> is that what we're on now lee cleansing yeah. I, I can't say that I, I i can't say that i anticipated the the uh the prostate discussion but I <laughs> 
next so. week on Big Woods Medical. <laughs> right. That, that's actually that's actually a benefit when you get older, uh, yeah. Clint, because you get to get up more in the night and check the weather. Yeah. Right. Well, I will. I will. I will look forward to that. I think. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, Hal, I want to I want to circle back to something that you mentioned because it's interesting. You know, doing this podcast for five years, I've had the pleasure to talk to guys like you and you know a bunch of guys who I look at that are you know folks who I think are just some of the best deer hunters that you know in in the country. And there's been a there's been a theme with each of them that I found. Um, you know, and what you had mentioned was you know you have to be you know willing to kind of fail to a degree you got to have experience right and really there's only one way to get that is to just not be afraid to kind of take the track and figure it out right or make a guess whenever you're trying to age a track and you know and, and screw it up a couple times and then once you do that you'll start to it'll start to become more clear so i guess for all of you guys how important for your learning how to hunt this style of hunting was not being afraid to fail and just going and getting after it and then taking those lumps and those learning experiences to get better. How important was that to, to become good at the type of woodsmanship you guys are really good at? Well, persistence. Yeah, yeah but it's critical. Everything. It's critical to be like that. With everything. I if can tell not, you there's not one person sitting at this table that's afraid to fail, whether it's deer hunting or business or anything. And I think that's a personality trait that, that, people have to have to really love yeah the sure. woods because i seen how go almost all all deer season with nothing he was run down okay so would you lose 20 pounds i bet you lost a lot of weight there two years ago 15 anyway yeah, yeah. i could see his backbone sticking out of his t-shirt <laughs> and <laughs> and then he killed that big one on the last day next to last next day, to the last day. the best so, part about that is everyone sees the Everyone sees Hal and his big buck that he got, and they, no one had any idea how much time right, but and effort you, went before it, that. So here's some math for you. He hunted for, what, three weeks prior? So there's how many days of failure? Four weeks. Right, four weeks. So, But we don't consider that failure because right. on every single day is is a learned experience, right? You're just honing your skills. So, But if you want to look at it, yeah, there's four weeks of failure. Most people would have given up after the first four days. Say nothing mm-hmm. about the third week. So, but yeah, I think all the good guys that I know, nobody's afraid of. Oh, it's, it, it, I think it's part <laughs> of it with anything yep. that's, mm-hmm. you know, success is, that's right. where you learn. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. true of anything in life. There's, there's people, we all know people that they give up on everything they try. They get meet a little resistance and they just quit. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, you know. Did you ever hear the story about the big one I killed uh, in uh, Ontario, Clint? No, I haven't. So uh, we were up there deer hunting one year, and I got sick. And just talk about prostate. It was coming out both ends. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I mean sick as a dog, but I I wanted to go, so I got dressed in the morning, and I got in the truck with Tommy and his dad and Frank, and we were headed out, and I was trying to catch up on some sleep in the back seat. I had my NyQuil or whatever with me, and we were going. So we get to where we're going, and a deer had crossed the road, but nobody could really see it. So I said, well, I'm going to run back and just see what that was that crossed the road. 
So I go back there and I'm literally outside the truck in the pouring rain with everything's coming out of me. And I get back in the truck and I said, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't go out there in the rain. And on the seat was the Northwood Sporting Journal. And in it was Hal's article on persistence. So I didn't even have to read it because I'd already read it. And I flipped it open and I saw persistence. I'm like, all right, we got to go. 15 minutes later, I killed one that dressed 242, scored 166 something. Wow. Yeah, 160 something. Yeah. So, you know, it's the persistence. And I, you know, we often say we're the most persistent pricks we ever met. Because <laughs> if we want something, we want it. You know, right. I'm going to get it. Yeah. 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 I think you guys are right. It's, you know, a lot of folks will, you know, if it doesn't come easy, they're not willing to put the work into it. And I think that's what I love most about hunting is that you never really know at all, you know? And so it's, it, it kind of continues to give to you no matter your age, as long as you're willing to go out and explore and, and try, you know, you have, you'll, you'll at minimum, you'll gain new experiences each time, what you kind of put in your bag of tricks and hopefully it makes you better for the next time you're out. You know, and that's kind of, I guess that's kind of how I, how I look at it. Maybe that's a foolish way to look at it, but maybe I use that to mentally trick myself to keep going. (laughs) There's a lot of um, that. (laughs) There's a lot of that in the woods. You just, you know, what else are you going to do? Go back and sit around camp and tell people why you gave up at two o'clock because, you know, you didn't have the guts or the grit to do it. We call it grit. You know, you got to have some grit. Yeah, yeah, for I read sure. In a, I read in a book one time, it was a simple statement. I don't even know who wrote the book. There was one of them, like, success-type books there. And it said, the quote was, uh, winners never quit and quitters never win. That that always stuck with me, too. It was just a simple statement, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, you know, if if you're willing to put in the work, you know, at some point you'll get you'll get rewarded. You know, it's like, I didn't spend, uh, four weeks, you know, in, <laughs> tracking, tracking bucks in, in Maine. I had a trip, um, in, in Iowa that I went out, I was by myself. It was a little over a two week kind of stay and it was all public land. It was a couple decent sized chunks, but I didn't have a chance to really scout any of it prior. And so I just freelance hunted the whole trip. And the bummer of it was, was I actually had a good encounter with a really big deer that I didn't get a shot opportunity at ended up with an, I missed one two different times. It was the same one. I caught up to him, you know, found him again. And it was the 16th day of the hunt at three 30 in the afternoon. And I finally arrowed, arrowed one of the bucks that I was after. Nice. And it was, you know, and, and it was, you know, whatever it was, 15, 16 days of all day hunts. You know, I didn't have a clue as to where I was at or what deer were in the air. I mean, it was Iowa, so I knew there were good deer. And it was just scouting and hunting every day, all day. And that was, you know, and by the time I got the end of the trip, I kind of said, for me, that was, uh, it was a, um, it was a really good learning experience because of how many encounters I had the opportunity to have. Um, and I was in a place I'd never been before. And so I was having to try to interpret sign that I was seeing kind of how, like what you were saying, it's like every place that you're at is it's different, right? So a buck track here might be different than a buck track, you know, in uh, just say Missouri or whatever the case is. Right. 
the rubs are a little bit different just in terms of like the size of them or how often they're going to lay them down based on competition or whatever the case is. And so it was a really cool experience. I learned a lot. Um, and again, it's kind of why I like going to different places to hunt. Like, so, you know, would definitely at some point, hopefully like to make it up to the area that you guys are in to have, uh, to try my hand at that and just, you know, tag filled or not, um, just to gain the experience. Cause I feel like overall that experience would just make me a better hunter. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure it is. Yeah. yeah. So, well, Hey fellas, I know you have a bunch of other stuff going on this morning, so I don't want to, I don't want to keep you, um, you know, too awful long here. I appreciate you guys making some time to chat. Um, I, I have one more question for you guys. If, if you guys would entertain one more question. Sure. All right. We'll do it. Yep. Cool. So for all, for each of you, um, I'm always kind of curious, you know, who's you know what influences folks have had and so if you were building a basketball team for the ncaa tournament right now right and you could only pick three three hunters it was a three-on-three tournament right you had to pick three hunters that you thought were the the best hunters or maybe they're the guys who influenced you the most who would those three hunters be Not what? Jackie Bushman. <laughs> Putting pressure on people here, ain't you? I'll, yeah, I a can, bit. I, I can, can answer it. I can answer it. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Joe. I'll ask off to no, you. No. I, I would say just because I know them all well and I know what their track record is, and Lee, don't take offense to this because I can always learn from you too, but I oh, would say. No, I, I'm not in the list. If you pick me as one of you for three. me, for me, because it's right there is Hal Rick and Matt Vining. Yeah. Cause I, all I, local I, boys those are the right three, there. those are the three guys that when I got yeah. a question, I'll call and pick their brain and, yeah. and, and it's just simply on their experience in the woods that we hunt and their success and everything else at the type of hunting that we do. Yeah. It speaks, you know, for itself. Yep. Wait, so, I would go next? obviously Hal. And Rick Labby, obviously, um, both good friends and, and mentors and just solid people. You want to talk about two people that don't give up. And then my third one would be Kevin Harrison, and I'll tell you why, is because that guy can calm me down from anything. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody's going to get hurt, and all I need is a phone call from Kevin, and life is good again. <laughs> when's, but, he come, when's he coming hunting, by the way? Uh, well... Once we start making this a job, I'm sure he'll come back. <laughs> yeah, he did come up last. Oh, was it? He's been on the podcast. Yeah, but he yeah. came up hunting. Uh, he stayed at the at the lodge. Yeah, with he the, did. He did come up. Was it That's last right. fall? Yep. But Kev's always no, good, and, and Kev's yeah. a story. He's a guy that started working for Hal in the early 2000s, and if that guy wants to hunt, he's killing something, you know, when he can and when he wants to. But no, he was good when. I say that because when I started for Hal, me and Kev lived together for the first couple of years, and and I just would sit down at night and I'd bounce questions off of him, and it was always a good logical answer. Never, geez, I don't know. But, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. Like, oh, so you know, many. You know, yeah. Lee Shantz, the good oh, Lee. Yeah, the I good mean, Lee. think of the knowledge he's got through yeah. the years, and yeah, I mean, as as a young hunter, yeah. you know. Nick, Nick has awesome yeah. 
you know, feel for the woods and woodsmanship mm-hmm. and everything. So there's there's a lot of guys that have those skills that have been doing it a while. The thing that makes a hunter, the the thing that makes me want anybody on my team, whether it's my business or my hunting, is the personality and and all the guys we're talking about right now, if you called them tomorrow and asked them a question, they would give you their honest opinion. There's a lot of guys in this hunting world that won't share any information with you. They don't want you yeah. to be better. They don't want you to maybe shoot a bigger buck than they do. So, you know, we tease each other about giving up spots. Uh, I used to tell people you could walk to the top of the stairs at the lodge on any given night and ask how where to find a buck and he would tell you. And it used to drive me crazy. And that person would leave and how would say live there's plenty of deer in the woods <laughs> all right, right. buddy <laughs> yeah, so that's... you know that's the personality trait that you want on your team no matter what you're doing yeah no, I, I agree with that and that's that's one of the things that i've actually found in doing this the show for as long as i have is that the guys that are really good um they don't mind helping right um you know, because they're in it for the right reasons. And, you know, the filled tag at the end of the day is the icing on the cake. But it's it's the conversation like we're having here and the friendships and the memories and the relationships and all those things are really kind of the, the important part. And, hell, if we get to hang string up a few bucks together at the same time, then that's just icing on the cake. You know, oh, yeah. so. But uh, how, how about you, man? What's uh, here are your three? Well, you see, see, I'm, I've got to go way back cause I'm the old guy, you know, kind of <laughs> probably started this thing here. So I was, I got to go back and say like my father, because he took me when I was young, you know, I mean, he gave up his, some of his hunting time to drag me along when I was five, six years old. You know what I mean? With my yeah. B, with my BB gun and my plastic toy gun, see that was my informative stuff to get me out there, and uh, and and then the other one that had the most influence on me was my father's cousin, that him and the, and two of my father's cousins and another guy owned. Uh, we called the lodge. It was their hunting lodge down on the coast of Maine, down east. And that was kind of like my training grounds into my real hunting. Because before then, I didn't get to go, you know, I'd go a day here when my father could take me, you know. But when I was 16, when I could go on my own, you know, because up in Maine, you had to be, you had to be with an adult till you was 16, still do. But, um, uh, I got to go down to that hunting lodge and my father's cousin, his name's Stanley. He's, uh, he's passed on now, but he kind of took me under his wing cause he was, he'd been married and divorced and he had two girls that because of his divorce situation, he never really got to see him or whatever. But, um, so he kind of took me under his wing and he taught me a lot about deer hunting. Now, granted it wasn't about, big woods hunting but he taught me a lot about deer hunting and we had a pretty good piece of woods we hunted there and it was like that uh it wasn't farm country but it was old 
overgrown farm country at one time, that mountain we hunted on. So there was apple trees in the woods and old homesteads and stuff. But it was a really good experience for me for a couple of years there before, you know, I hunted there for a few years before I went in the Marine Corps. And then, uh, but he was, he was the other one that had, you know, kind of like a big impact on it. Mm-hmm. But really, really in the big woods, there wasn't really anybody because I had to kind of, I was the one that wanted to go and I had to talk my father at first and then some other friends to come up here and hunt because I was the one that, that liked it so much after the first year I came. So, but other than that, I mean, I read, I read, um, like probably a lot of people did back then in the seventies when Larry Benoit's first book come out, I read that book and I did try that. I tried to make a lot of that work, but it didn't work for me. And I just, I can't tell you what, I think it was probably, you know, if I could have sat with Larry or whatever and had like more of a personal influence, it probably would have helped. Right. But there was too many unanswered questions there. And, and I, I figured out later after I got older and, and then I wrote my own book that, that Larry didn't write that book. You know, it was written about Larry, but it wasn't written by Larry. So, and that's a big right. difference. That's a, a, yeah. that's a huge difference. So um, those were the, those I would say that was my influence in the hunting, you know. Mm-hmm. Nice. That wasn't a question. As 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 yes, heartwarming the, as that was, that it was, wasn't the question. <laughs> the question was if you had to build. I couldn't do he it. He did. He built Big Woods bucks. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I already, I already <laughs> built a team, and, and you're all, and you're all on it equally. <laughs> Is that a cop out? <laughs> oh, I think yeah, we all yeah. like. So, life is like a wheel, right, Clint? You know, yeah. and if you want to be a part of a team or business or whatever, you have to find your spot in that wheel that makes it all spin. And we all kind of know where we are and in that wheel and we're fine with it because lead a philosopher comes out today in the end. I mean, we just want the wheel to move forward. Right. So, did someone give him that jug of whiskey back? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I can tell you, I don't, you don't he listen ne- to the he podcast. Never did, he never you, didn't have it. <laughs> you don't listen to the podcast, do you? Yeah. <laughs> it's usually Tito's. It's usually Tito's. Whiskey makes my clothes Tito's. fall off, and that's not oh, pretty. Well, you did mention it earlier. <laughs> right. right. Well, All right. I, think, I think on that note, I think that's a fine place to, uh, <laughs> to shut things down. Um, yeah. Fellas, I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate you guys coming on, coming on my show. Um, yeah, I good. Enjoyed this. I'm gonna have a lot of questions about uh, big woods and tracking here in the not so distant future. So uh, you might you might see another ping from me for a follow up conversation, or uh, or maybe I'll make my way up there to pay you guys a visit at one of these points. Yeah, sounds good, Clint. <clears throat> and uh, that's uh, uh, Truth from the Stand podcast. If uh, you guys out there on Big Wood side are looking for something new to listen to. You can tune into that on iTunes. Yep. Yes, sir. And Big and Big Woods Bucks the same. You can find it all the places podcasts live. Yep. <clears throat> Sounds good. Thanks, Clint. Thank you, Clint. All right, thanks, fellas. Thanks for joining in, and we'll talk to you sometime. Sounds good. Yep.
All right, folks. Don't forget to uh, ping us on what? Ding us. Got to ding us on uh, YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe on YouTube. Check us out on Facebook. What else? We got to, oh, Instagram. Bo's doing that. And uh, what else? You covered it. Support the sponsors. Oh, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember. (laughs) Donald Trump's coming out with his own. Social media. I heard that Mike Lindell too. So we'll yeah. have to. We'll be following up on that. Yeah. So Zuckerberg, don't spend all your money, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, on that note. Until ne- until next time. Good luck on the trail. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.